Let's take our Bibles together. I encourage you to turn in your own Bibles to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. That's what we're looking at this morning. And the Psalms continuing. I'll do one more of these next week. And probably after a, a brief time away, get back to Revelation later in July. So, that's what we're looking at. Psalm 137. Church Bible, where is that? That is uh, page 521, so if you're using a church Bible. All right, let's give our attention to God's Word being read. Hear the Word of the Lord. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing? the Lord's song in a foreign land. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of God. I invite you to pray with me. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. We need to hear from you. We all need the food of your word. It is daily bread. We don't live by physical bread and meat alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so, Father, as the one who is tasked with preaching this, I ask for an extra measure of grace to be a, a useful instrument in your hand. God, that we would hear your word by your spirit, planting that truth in our hearts, and that uh, all of us, Father, would have that sensitivity to hear from you, a desire to, to listen, to obey, to be changed in a way only you can through your word proclaimed. And we ask that that would happen this morning, that Christ himself would be glorified. Amen. Well, after a uh, protracted siege, this is uh, the year 587 BC, Jerusalem fell Judah's king at the time, Zedekiah, tried to flee the city, but he was captured by the Chaldeans. His sons were slaughtered in front of him, his eyes were gouged out, and he was dragged off to Babylon in chains. And most of those who had not died in the siege were taken captive to Babylon. You can find that in 2 Kings 25. As for the city of Jerusalem, the the wall was knocked down, most of the houses were, were burned to the ground, the temple That beautiful temple was stripped of anything precious, and then it was burned. So the land of promise, the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land that was ultimately settled by the the sons of Jacob, constituted under the law of God given through Moses, they had been removed from that land. Why? Why? 1 Chronicles 9 One says, and Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. That's why, their breach of faith. And that brings us to this psalm. 
It's a lament. But I would suggest to you this morning that it also typifies the experience of God's people. Since the very beginning of creation, after sinning, we had the land. We lost the land because of our sin. We want to get back to the land. And while we wait and long for the return to the garden, as it were, that place, that glorious place our forebears knew, we lament. We lament knowing that, thing, knowing that right now that things are not as they ought to be, and we feel it. So using this psalm as a, as a template, I want us to consider our experience as the people of God today. As we wait for Christ to return, as we wait for him to come back and restore all things. So I've got three headings. I won't tell you what they are in advance, but I'm, I'm going to organize some thoughts this morning under three headings and hopefully we'll make some application that, that is helpful. First, let's consider this. Remember you're an alien. Remember you're an alien. Now, most of you know that I'm an alien. I'm, in fact, a legal alien. Paraphrase Sting. I'm a Canadian in Nebraska, not an Englishman in New York. Right? Now, some have asked if we're going to become citizens. We haven't ruled that out, but I don't really want to spend the $1,600 right now for Kathy and me to, to do the citizenship process. We'll wait for those green cards to expire. But this is our home now. A couple of our children are citizens. Our grandchildren are citizens. And I have some of the responsibility of citizenship, but I also have some of those benefits. I, I pay taxes. I, I enjoy the good of the land. I even enjoy the 4th of July, though I'm a little bit over the fireworks every night, just a little bit. It'll be great on the 4th, but come midnight, I really want them to stop, honestly. And I can't vote. That's probably a good thing. I'm an alien, but but I chose to be here, right? Now, I think it would be a very different thing if I was minding my own business, sipping my Tim Hortons coffee while savoring a Nanaimo bar, catching up in an episode of Corner Gas, and if American tanks rolled in and took me and my family away, forced us to eat grits and biscuits and, and gravy and listen to Morgan Wallen, right? That'd be a different deal. Morgan Wallen's a country singer. You all know that. Okay, never mind. Well, this psalm is, is a, a beautiful, but it is sorrowful, and it's poetic, of course. And, and with this psalm, what it does is it expresses how it was not, it was not a choice for the exiles from Judah. They didn't choose to live in Babylon. And they had the, the horrific memory of that siege lasting upwards of 30 months, the deaths of family and friends that loss of their national identity, when every single thing that they had had, had back in Jerusalem that, that marked them as a people, gone. And now they're living away in this pagan country. Now, the author of this psalm is, is unknown. Some conjecture, perhaps, that it was the prophet Jeremiah because he was the weeping prophet. That's not certain. Maybe a Levite. But whoever this this was, it, what it certainly does, it conveys this sadness of living in a land of not his choosing. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. The waters that could be rendered rivers. So Babylon, known for its four rivers, Euphrates, Tigris, Chebar, or Kebar, Ulai, 
those rivers, representing really the, the totality of the, the kingdom of Babylon. Now, when I studied uh, previously, when I studied and preached through the book of Genesis, one of the recurring themes there was the moral significance of Babylon. It, it, it seems to repeat. And, and symbolically, Babylon was a place of banishment to the east. It was a place away from the Lord. Historically, the land of Shinar, uh, which is where Babylon would be, was settled with these people from the east. And it was called Babel. And in Hebrew, Babel, Babylon, same, same word. There, if you recall the story in Genesis, there uh, at Babel, they built a tower, a monument to their own greatness. We will build a tower to the Lord. And the Lord confused their language. Babel, in fact, means confusion. And they were confused because they did not honor the Lord. And their confusion of language was really emblematic of their confusion about who God is. It's not you. In a sense, Babel, Babylon was the first pagan civilization, at least the one we find out about in the Bible. So Babylon is both a consequence of sin, but also a judgment for it. Perhaps you recall when God promised the Israelites, when he promised to give them the land of Canaan, this is what he said, this is Leviticus you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them. That the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You keep my law, my statutes, my rules, so the land doesn't barf you out of it to be crass. Because you're offensive to the land because of your idolatry. You're offensive. Clearly, they didn't. The nation of Judah, led by apostate kings, they had abandoned the Lord. They turned to idols. We know that from their history. And they did the very thing that the Lord had warned them not to do. And so, of course, they, they experienced the predicted consequence. And so they wept when they remembered Zion. Zion, just another name for Jerusalem. And they remembered, oh yes, where the temple stood in the midst of them, representing the, the spiritual center of the nation. They remembered the, the favor and the blessing of God and of being a distinct people. They remembered the, the joy of the festivals, that, that sense of closeness to God. They remembered, as the, the psalm continues, verses 2 and 3, and in poetic language, they the psalmist describes the suffering on the willows there. This is in Babylon by the waters. We hung up our lyres. For there are our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now we miss the point if we try to figure out if willows were, were native to that part of the world or if they literally hung their harps in the trees or even if their captors literally required to sing the happy songs about Zion. I don't think that's necessary. I take it. That, that having been exiled to, to Babylon, they are homesick. It's hard to feel joyful when surrounded by a pagan culture in a place you did not choose to live. So why bother playing the harp? Why, why even sing? And the idea that their captors would, would demand that they sing mockingly, right? It represents the Babylonians' complete ignorance and disdain for their own trust in the Lord. 
and the very culture that built up around the law of the Lord and what it meant to be the people of God. And now the very heart of the culture that they must live in is completely opposed to God and his law. And it feels oppressive. It feels like it weighs in on them. Now, as the people of God today, if you're one of the people of God, having been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, God's Son, we are likewise aliens. We are strangers in a strange land. We live in a metaphorical Babylon. The cultural and power structures around us are hostile to God. They have rejected Christ. They demand our highest allegiance implicitly or explicitly. And we don't have to look too hard for examples of how that is true today. And John, in, in his vision, and we'll get back to Revelation, but in his vision in Revelation 14, 16, 17, 18, we see, we see the same idea repeated that the, the pagan culture, the, the, the culture against God, the, the evil in the world, that's named as Babylon, metaphorically. Now here in our psalm, he's looking back to Jerusalem. He's looking back, but we don't look back. What we do is we look forward to the new Jerusalem at the, at the end of Revelation, but, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. The Apostle Peter in his first letter, in that he addressed the believers in Jesus using the imagery of Jews longing to return to the promised land. He, he says, to the elect, those who are elect exiles, chosen by God, but you're exiles. Well, I'd suggest that's us too. If you're in Christ, you're in elect exile. Now, as we think about this psalm, and as I thought about it, studying it, do, do I weep? Do I weep? Now, not literally, but ask you the question, do you, man, do you lament what's, what's going on around you? Do you long for something better? Or have you accommodated yourself to Babylon? important question to ask ourselves. Ask myself that every day. Have I accommodated myself to Babylon? Like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah, Abraham. We are looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. A homeland, a better country that is a heavenly one. We see that in Hebrews 11, 10, and then 14 through 16. And we have this hope knowing that we were once citizens of Babylon. We were like them marked for judgment. But God in his mercy, he opened our eyes. He showed us Christ crucified so that our sins could be covered. He showed us that. And Peter, again, in his first letter, he describes this change of status before God and what that means for us as we live out our faith quoted this together. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is how we're to live. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So don't think Jew-Gentile, but think metaphorically speaking, those who are not of God. Gentiles, the 
the outsiders to the, to the family of God, the unbelievers. Keep your conduct among the unbelievers honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they actually may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They may not glorify God now, but when Christ returns, they'll go, yes, they were right. Brothers and sisters in Christ, weeping means we know the difference between Babylon and Zion. Weeping means we understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And as exiles, as aliens, let me encourage you, look forward to the day of visitation. Look forward to that day of Christ's glorious and kingly return. So let me ask you, do you look forward to that day? Do you view yourself as an exile? Or are you a citizen of Babylon? Well, the next heading is simply sing the Lord's song. Sing the Lord's song. Now, why are there songs? Why sing, right? There, there are the variety of songs. It's immense. But we know these songs are, songs are part of every culture. And yes, we're entertained by hearing songs, but I, I do think it's much deeper than just mere entertainment. And I read this somewhere. I wish I could give the credit, but just listen to this. It's when you hear or read words, words, they convey a thought. It's information. It's, it's an intellectual pursuit. That's words. Alternatively, when you hear music, notes and chords, it conveys a feeling, right? Sometimes a particular chord progression, this happens to me, and those of you who love music, you might resonate with this. Just the right chord progression, just the right inversion of those chords can actually bring tears to my eyes. It just moves me, right? That's music. So words convey a thought. Music conveys a feeling, but a song. That's words and music together. It feels a thought. Isn't that true? Song feels a thought. Now we sing about things that move our souls, things that capture our, our deepest loves and longings. And you would think that people would have had enough of silly love songs, right? But Paul McCartney was right. What's wrong with that? Right? People keep writing them. And I can't disagree with Elton John. Sad songs, they say so much, don't they? We get it. Music, it just, it takes over. Well, the psalmist asks then, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And I take that that's rhetorical. Does Zion matter? Does knowing God and clinging to his promises matter? Does that matter? Then I must sing. He expresses it this way, verse 5, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. It, it, I should never strum the harp again. Uh, in fact, I should entirely forget to how to play it if I forget Jerusalem. And Jerusalem represents the promises and the goodness of God. If I forget God's goodness, I should just forget how to play. What's the point? And then he turns to singing. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above 
my highest joy. Again, Jerusalem representing the goodness and the promises and the, 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 the grace of God poured out. If I don't tell the Lord's goodness, if his promises and provision are not my highest joy in the world, what is even the point of having language? What is even the purpose of having a voice? Living in Babylon as an exile, the psalmist then lifts his eyes. He he looks above and beyond his present circumstances to remember, to remember the goodness of God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what do we have to sing about? Psalm 911. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Listen, if you're a child of God, you know his deeds, don't you? God gloriously sent his son. He sent him to live that perfect life that we could not live. And with his own life, Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin that we had amassed before Almighty God. And if you cannot sing about that, if that truth does not stir your soul, could you even be a child of God, echoing what Aaron taught this morning in Sunday school? We have something to sing about. If you do not sing out, if you do not praise the Son of God, the very rocks in the parable of the triumphal entry or the story, they're going to cry out. If that doesn't stir your soul, could you even be a child of God? Let me ask that question. And maybe you're not. But right now, I want to urge you to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to sing. It's one of the ways that God has given us to remind ourselves who we are in Christ, to remind ourselves what we have been given, to remind ourselves what we've been promised, to remind ourselves the immensity of the grace of God poured out on us. We must sing Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This isn't optional. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then he says how? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We have an intellectual connection to the gospel, right? Yes, that is good. Jesus died for my sin. That is good. I'm grateful. Father, thank you. But when we sing it, I was a wretch lost in my sin. I was condemned to hell. And the Son of God took my sin. Praise God. We sing it and we feel it. And it's glorious. And when we gather together like this and we sing it together, and I heard you singing as we sang together, it stirred my soul. And I look out and I see others. Oh, you believe this too. Oh, you're giving testimony to something that rings in my heart. We must Sing the Lord's song as exiles. 
because there's coming a day when Christ will return and we'll sing for all eternity, so we may as well practice the choir now, right? Well, thirdly, my third heading here is just trust God to judge. Trust God to judge. Now, it is natural and it is understandable as an inclination that we want justice. We get this. Someone steals from you, they should make restitution. And in the Old Testament, the law was you had a percentage of that, right, for the crime. And it makes logical sense, though some are very opposed to the idea, if someone takes a life, they should forfeit their own. That's in the Bible. And it's, it's this principle, it's a legal principle, lex talionis, you have probably heard of that. It's expressed in the Bible, an eye for an eye. It's a proportional, proportional judicial response. Now the psalmist, I want to urge you, has this in view. In the language, I get it. It is very harsh. But it is a call for justice. And what the psalmist does is he first describes the sin of the Edomites. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Now the Edomites had long been enemies of Israel and Judah, but their sins were particularly egregious here as they took advantage of Judah's weakness during the siege of Jerusalem and just before the fall to the Babylonians. The prophet Ezekiel himself in exile he wrote this, thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast and I will make it desolate. From Teman even to Dedan, they shall fall by the sword. That's a judgment pronounced by the Lord on Edom. So then he turns in the psalm to their captors knowing that they will be paid back for what they had done. He says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Eye for an eye. It's a call for justice. And so what had the Babylonians done to Judah? Well, he describes some of it in verse 9. We'll get there. But we all get this. War is ugly. It is the consequence of sin. It is one of them. Many consequences of sin, but war ultimately comes out of sin. And there are righteous wars. I get that. And a great many of you are involved every day of your working life in somehow in our preparedness for war. It's not an unrighteous thing. This nation, though, has rules of engagement. We understand that. Specific targets are chosen to limit collateral damage to innocence. But when bombs are dropped, people die, including children. And you know that. Now, we have that collateral damage when, when there's war, because there's a greater good that we're pursuing. Understand in those times, a pagan nation that was the victor in war, what they might do, they might, and I would say pagan nation, Israelites were not permitted to do all that the pagan nations had done. But understand, there may be, in their victory, they would bring utter destruction to everyone, but maybe keep the livestock and the valuables. They might... make this family friendly, abuse the women in war. They might destroy the pregnancies of women in war by sword. 
Those are in the Bible. It's hideous and ugly. Sometimes they would kill just the men and they would take the women and children as slaves or just wipe everybody out. Now, what the psalmist is doing in the psalm is reflecting on the ugliness of the war. The, the psalmist wishes the same thing on, on the Babylonians that had been done to them. And this is hard to take in. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Now, in our modern sensibilities, we cannot imagine, but that's what had been done to them. And the psalmist isn't saying he's going to do it. He says, God, do to them what they did to us. But notice how he does this. Remember, O oh Lord. You remember. Now, remembering for the Lord, that's not, that's not passive. It's like, oh, I'd forgotten and, and you, I called it to mind. No. Remembering for the Lord is a call to act. That is a plea for justice. I don't doubt the psalmist understood what it said in Deuteronomy. I will take vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. Now, as exiles, the psalmist understands that they had no power to act. They, they were in no position to make war on their captors. In fact, they were told it was the will of the Lord that they indeed surrender to them. Because it was the will of the Lord to be in Babylon in the first place. Look at Jeremiah 38, 17. I'll read it for us. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But he didn't. He didn't surrender. He tried to escape. And the consequence happened. The city was burned with fire. Well, as we think about the application for us today, how do we, brothers and sisters in Christ, live in this metaphorical Babylon while we wait for the return of our King Jesus? Well, when there's injustice, and there will be, the Apostle Paul writes this, this is personal, but this is also, I would say, communal. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. As exiles, we don't avenge. We trust God will judge. He will judge in his own time. Things seem extraordinarily unjust. How dare they? Never avenge yourselves. We have to accept, brothers and sisters, as exiles, as aliens, as strangers in this foreign land, that it could get difficult. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation. And what did Jesus say next? He said, Take heart. Take heart, but take heart what? Take heart, you will fight valiantly. Take heart, you will overthrow the evil government. Take heart, you will get the president of your choosing. No, no, and no. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Present tense, but a prophetic perfect, a statement of what is absolutely certain, but what has not been fully realized. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And that, this, this experience of living as exiles, it may mean persecution. 
And we see the increasing totalitarian impulses of our government. We see the limits on our religious freedom. We see that there are laws against our obedience to what the Bible says. There's compelled service for what some deem to be immoral acts. Make that website. Bake this cake. There's compelled speech, like the use of pronouns, or love is love, my body, my choice, and other statements of satanic vomit. You probably heard this. Michigan passed a bill. Felony, $10,000 fine and potential prison time for misgendering. So, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Writing to the elect exiles, Peter, Peter in his first letter wrote this, If you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, are you prepared to make a defense? Are you prepared to explain the hope you have in Christ. When, when they revile you, are you prepared to say, Christ was reviled, then crucified, that my sins might be forgiven? When they take away your property, are you prepared to say, because Christ has been raised, that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? When they say you are morally wrong not to submit to the unrighteous laws, are you prepared to say, that you bow to Christ as king who will return to judge the living and the dead. And if they should threaten to kill you, are you prepared to say that your hope for eternity is in Christ? Now, it's not wrong to use the legal means at our disposal to seek relief. When Paul was a citizen, he, he appealed, the Apostle Paul, he appealed to the Rome, to the Roman Caesar. Roman soldiers were about to whip him. I appealed to Caesar. I'm a Roman. And there have been some small victories this past week from the Supreme Court. But, but, if you should lose the legal battle and you feel, based on the Scripture, you must resist the laws of man to obey God, then let's do so with humility so when they come to arrest you, do not revile. This, this was highlighted for me. There was in Canada during the, the pandemic. I think he rightly felt that the church, this pastor rightly felt that the church should meet together. But when they tried to shut him down, he just hurled epithets at them. Nazi, Nazi. And I thought, well, it's just me. If Peter says, Give an answer. Do it with gentleness and respect. We can quibble over whether or not we should obey the law of the land in shutting down church. Setting that aside, he believed he was doing something for righteousness' sake, but he did not do it with gentle and gentleness and respect. I'm not reviling him. But I would say, if they come to arrest, do not revile. Surrender. Go willingly and pray for grace to imitate the character of Christ who, when he was 
brought up on false charges. He remained silent. And he was crucified. I get it. These things may not happen here in my lifetime, but they are happening in other parts of the world. And the pendulum may, may swing this way and that, but this Babylon will continue to decay morally. So what do we do as exiles? Know that God will judge. He'll set the record right. And we must keep our eyes fixed on Christ before whom every knee will one day bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And we must be prepared to declare Christ is Lord now in anticipation of the glorious day of his return. So, you are Americans. You're preparing to celebrate the birth of this nation with much blowing up of stuff, <laughs> right? And there's so much to be thankful for. I get that. But let's not forget, this nation is not the kingdom of God. We can enjoy its blessings. This physical homeland is still a spiritual foreign land. Don't forget you're an alien. And because we're aliens, we need to keep the song of the Lord on our lips. Continue to gather together to declare the kingdom that is coming, to declare Christ the kingdom's king. To remind one another to, to surrender to him, to keep our eyes on him, to, to walk with him. And as much as possible, be a witness for a, a decaying world around us that there is hope in Jesus. We'll keep the song of the Lord on our lips as we, by the grace of God, remain faithful until Christ's return. I was reminded of a of this song, it's a little bit cheesy, but it was Jim Reeves. It just kept ringing through my, my mind this week. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door that I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you call us to yourself. That though we were not once a people, we have now been called a people. And that is entirely owing to your grace, to the fact that you sent your son to bear our sin. And when he rose from the grave, he gives us that absolute certain promise that we likewise after our bodies are dead and buried at just the right time, at the last trumpet, we will rise and forever joyfully dwell with you. God, we need strength, we need grace to be faithful to that day. And if persecution should increase in our time, give us the grace. Keep us faithful as exiles as we live in this spiritual foreign land so that Christ may be glorified in us. We pray in his name. Amen.